So this is the last week of our series called The Life Revolution. We've been spending the last four weeks looking at a chunk of the teaching of Jesus at the end of Matthew chapter 6, beginning of Matthew chapter 7, where uh, Jesus is, at least in my opinion, and you can be the judge for yourself whether I, you think I've demonstrated that this is true, that I think Jesus is writing life commentary on the kind of life that you have to live if you're going to be the sort of person that prays the Lord's Prayer, which Jesus taught us to pray, at which Jesus commanded us to pray as like one of the most central acts of Christian spirituality, one of the most important things that we can do to be the person, the Christ follower that Jesus has called us to be and to do the things that Christ has called us to do is to pray the Lord's Prayer. It's why the early church was commanded to pray that prayer three times a day to allow its formative effect to take root uh, in their life. But if you're going to be the kind of person who prays the Lord's Prayer, you have to be the kind of person who lives a life that's consistent with what you're praying. So as an example, this is what we've looked at in this series, that you can't pray thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven and then get out of bed so that my kingdom can come on earth and it's not my kingdom in heaven. So that doesn't apply. But you can't pray for the kingdom and then live for yourself in like greed, right? Because greed and the kingdom are incompatible with each other. The kingdom is about selflessness and greed is about selfishness. They, they're incompatible, you can't pray, give us today our daily bread, and then worry about where your next meal is going to come from. Have, live a life defined by worry and be a kingdom person at the same time. It doesn't work. Because the kingdom is all about faith, and it's about trusting God to provide what you need. And worry is about fear and control and feeling like you need to provide for yourself what it is that you need. They, they, they don't go together. They're incompatible. Last week, we talked about how you can't pray, forgive us our sins the way we forgive other people their sins, and then get up off your knees and be this like negative, critical, judgmental jerk to everybody. You just, that doesn't work because the kingdom is all about forgiveness and mercy, and judgmentalism is all about criticism and condemnation. Those are incompatible, they don't go together. You have to live consistently with the prayer that you're praying. And so today we want to look at the last bit of life commentary that Jesus writes on the petitions of the Lord's Prayer. If you're going to pray the Lord's Prayer, you have to be this kind of person. And this is what Jesus writes. One verse, Matthew 7, verse 6, it says, Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to the pigs. Got no pearls, got no pigs? I'm good. I think I'm clear in terms of Jesus teaching, do not, do not throw the dogs with sacred, don't throw your pearls to the pigs. At one level, this kind of proverb, this simplified general teaching from Jesus seems like it's clear enough on the surface of it. It seems clear that in the first century, I'll just give you a bit of background. Dogs were not domesticated, tame animals in Israel. They, they, these were not things you had as house pets. Don't think Pug or poodle or labradoodle or whatever your dog of choice is, that you don't think about your favorite pet. Think about wild dogs roaming the streets in packs 
and they're half crazed and half starved and they're ravenous and rabid and these are genuinely terrifying creatures that lived in the streets in just about every village in Israel. They had no owner, no one to take care of them, no one to feed them and so they lived as scavengers off of the scraps of food that people threw into the streets. So when you're eating a meal with your family and you've got food left over, what do you do with the leftovers? You gather them up and you throw them out the front door into the street. It's ancient organic recycling, just like that. Out the, no green bin, you just put it out to the curb as it is. And the dogs come by and they gobble it all up and then they go and scavenge for more. Those, that would, those were the dogs that Jesus was talking about. And he says, you don't give the dogs something that's sacred. I think when he talks about sacred objects, He's thinking very particular, I think, about the food that gets sacrificed or the meat that gets sacrificed at the temple in worship. See, in ancient Israel, in ancient world, when you go to worship, you don't go to a, a nice facility and sit in these comfy chairs and you know, sing a few songs and listen to somebody preach who doesn't know what they're talking about. They, you don't, that's not what worship is. You go to the temple and you do some of that stuff, but the core of temple worship is offering a sacrifice. You bring an animal and the priest slaughters it and butchers it and barbecues it on that thing called an altar. And when the animal is barbecued, the priest takes the best parts to eat with the other priests because that's the part you're offering to God. But he gives the rest of the animal back to you and you take it and within the temple grounds, you gather all your friends and your family and you eat this barbecue. You have a massive picnic with the, with the animal that you just sacrificed to God. And nobody ever finishes all the food because the whole point is to sacrifice lavishly so that you're showing God with generosity how thankful you are that for what he's done or how sorry you are for your sin or whatever it is that's motivating the sacrifice. So you have all this leftover food and what do you do with it? Well, you don't gather it up and open up the front door of the temple and throw it out in the streets for the dogs to eat it because this meat has been given to God. It is sacred. This is a sacred steak. <laughs> Somebody just thought, I think I've eaten one of those. It was awesome. You know what? The most, I was at a steakhouse in Toronto and you had to order every part of the menu separately. On the menu, just the piece of meat, $325 for a 90-day aged steak from New Zealand. We, I did not order that steak. I don't care how sacred it is. But you, anyway, you don't take the food and throw it on the streets so those dirty, half-crazed, half-starved, rabid, unclean dogs can attack it. What the, what the law says, you have to burn it up and then the priest would bury it. Because you don't give what is sacred. You don't give what's been given to God. You don't take that and throw it to the dogs. You just don't do that. It's unthinkable. Um, it's like the way people you know, treat other sacred objects, Bibles and so on. I remember two friends of mine in university. They were moving into an apartment and there was no air conditioning. And the one guy opened the window, but it wouldn't stay open. And he found the previous tenants had left a Bible behind and he went to jam it. In the, in the window to prop the window open. His girlfriend was like, you can't do that. That's the Bible. Like, you don't mistreat sacred objects, right? That's the point. You don't throw pearls to pigs. The pigs uh, are despised animals in Israel. Farmers raise them and they take them to market and sell it to be fed to the Roman legions. The Jews won't eat it because the law says the pigs are unclean. So the farmers who raise them are despised, whatever. But these farmers would raise pigs. And you go into the pen and you throw out the bucket of slop, right? But when you go to slop the pigs, you're throwing out like fruits and vegetables and food scraps and milk and corn. And that's, that's slop. You're not throwing out a bucket of pearls. 
Because pearls were the most valuable gemstone in the ancient world. They were the most rare and they were the most valuable. There was nothing in the world. And then silver, gold, nothing in the world that was more valuable than pearls. You know, take your most valuable objects and toss it out in a pig pen like some kind of pig slop. You don't treat objects that way. This is, Jesus' point is clear. You don't take stuff that is sacred and precious and valuable and just throw it out into the mud to be scavenged by unclean, filthy animals. Right? The dog is a filthy animal. You don't treat stuff that way. That seems clear. What does Jesus mean? That's the question. What on earth does this little proverb mean? Well, in the ancient world, in Israel, I think this is where you start. The dogs and pigs, that was those two words, dogs and pigs, they were inflammatory, degrading insults to the Jews. If you called someone a dog or you called them a pig, there was hardly a worse thing that you could say as a Jew about somebody else. Because they were the two most despised animals in all of Israel. Nothing was worse than a dog or a pig. So in our world, we might say rats and uh, cats, let's say. (laughs) See, the Jews, they reserved that insult of calling somebody a dog for unbelievers, for Gentiles, for people who didn't believe in the God of Israel, uh, people who sinned. Um, as a matter of lifestyle, they were dogs. The, the, the Gentiles, the Jews hated them. That's not what God wanted, but they did. And that's, they hated them. They wouldn't talk to them. They wouldn't do business with them, wouldn't sign contracts, couldn't accept Gentile testimony in a court of law. They wouldn't go into their homes. They wouldn't eat with them. They wanted nothing to do with them. In fact, one rabbi said, if you see a Gentile drowning in the water, don't rescue him. Because if you pull him out of the water and he lives, he's just going to go do more ungodly, sinful Gentile stuff. Just let him drown. It's a little less evil in the world, right? This was like, and these were the people they called dogs. And same with the word pigs. There's an interesting verse in, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. Peter's talking about false teachers in the church. People who are greedy and manipulative and deceptive and whose teaching is leading people away from Christ, whose teaching is destructive to the life of faith. And of them, the Proverbs are true. It says, a dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. Peter says, you know what these people are like? Anyone who's destructive to the life of faith like pigs and dogs. I think when Jesus refers to the pigs and the dogs, he's referring to anti-God forces and people in the world. Anything in the world that is hostile to the life of faith. What does he mean when he says that which is sacred and the, per- and, and the pearls? What is it that we are not supposed to throw to those who are hostile to the life of faith. Some people say the kingdom. Some people say the good news about Jesus. You're not supposed to waste your time trying to tell people about Jesus if they're hostile to faith. And I'm not gonna get in that. I don't think it's right. I think what we have to remember is that Jesus is providing commentary to the kind of life you have to live if you're gonna pray the Lord's Prayer. And the last petition in the Lord's Prayer is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's a prayer of protection. 
that says, God, would you please spare us from the thousand degree circumstances, we call them, the tests and the trials and the, the hard times, the really hard times in life that are orchestrated by Satan, by the enemy of God, by the evil one, in order to test the strength and durability of our faith and ultimately to tempt us to wander away from Christ, to lose our focus on Christ as the main thing, to lose our faith in Christ as the one who saves, and to ultimately wander away from faith in Christ and to wander into sin, to throw our lives away to sin. And I think when Jesus says, don't take pearls and throw them to the pigs, what Jesus is saying, your life is valuable as a pearl. It's of inestimable worth. Your integrity, your character, your reputation, your name is the most valuable asset you have. It is more valuable than the most diverse investment portfolio. This is the most important thing that you have at your disposal, your number one asset. In Proverbs 22, it says, a good name or reputation is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed or respected is better than silver or gold. The most important, most valuable thing you have is your life of integrity. When he says, don't throw what is sacred to the dogs, I think he's saying your life is holy. The word holy or sacred means simply to be set apart for God. Your life has been set apart for God's purposes to be used by him so you can be a his will doing kingdom coming person. So that his love and life and beauty and joy and hope and healing and peace and abundance can flow through you and into the world. And you can become a channel of God's redeeming love in the world. Your life has been set aside for God's purposes. And I think what Jesus means in Matthew 7 verse 6 is he says you cannot pray God, protect me from the temptation to sin and then get up off your knees and take the most valuable sacred thing you have, which is your life in Christ, and throw it into the mud, throw it out to the dogs and pigs by giving in to the temptation to sin, by compromising your integrity. You can't pray, God, I do not want to go through periods of temptation in my life and then get up off your knees and sort of flirt with circumstances that bring temptation into your life. Hang out with the wrong kinds of people. Put yourself in the wrong kind of circumstances. Surround yourself with, the, with tempting sorts of things. You can't be the kind of person who says, God, I want to be spared temptation and then even curiously or excitedly invite that very temptation temptation into your life, to dabble in sin, to pretend that sin is no big deal, to live, really, to live a double life that says on Sundays, you know, I'm really serious about following Christ, but Monday to Saturday, I live as a completely different kind of person. Or to say, listen, when I'm with these folks, I'm intense and serious about my faith. But once, I, once I'm away from them, when I'm with this crowd, well, I become a completely different kind of person. You can't live a double life. 
that wants to be protected from sin and then on the other hand wanders away from your life of prayer and goes and plays with and toys with and flirts with that very sin as though it was no big deal. Because Jesus says sin is an extraordinarily big deal. In the end of verse 7, verse 6, he says, if you do that, if you take the sacred, precious, invaluable thing that you've been given in your life in Christ, and you just throw it into the mud, you toss it out into the street like garbage, you, you throw it out to be scavenged by the anti-God forces, by the evil one, and all of the forces that he marshals in his attempt to destroy your faith, you treat your faith that way, and it says, they, the dogs and pigs, will trample them under you, their feet and will turn and tear you to pieces. Jesus says, you go as a farmer into the pig pen and toss out a bucket of pearls instead of pig slop and you'll create a stampede and those pigs will come running and when they realize that that's not food, they'll trample those pearls under their feet into the mud and filth and they will stampede you and trample you to get the good stuff. You go as a priest, and you take one of those rare sacred stakes and open the front door of the temple and throw it out into the streets for the half-starved, half-crazed, rabid, wild dogs to attack, they will attack that meat and they will tear it to shreds and then they will come after you looking for more. Jesus says, if you take your life and toss it out there, exposing it to the powers of the forces and the people who are set against God, who are hostile to God's purposes, who want nothing more than to destroy your faith, your life may get torn apart by your choice to sin. Sin is a powerful and destructive force in the world. That's why God tells us not to do it. Not because he's a killjoy, not because he's trying to ruin somebody's fun, but because he knows that sin is destructive. It is self-destructive. It is emotionally destructive. It is spiritually destructive. It is relationally destructive. It is hurtful to other people. It's other people destructive. It is societally destructive. It is creationally destructive. Sin is everything that undermines and destroys God's love, joy, peace, hope, and healing in the world. Everything that brings tears and mourning and crying and pain into the world, that is sin. And Jesus says, don't play with it like some child in a war zone playing with a landmine or some live ammunition as though it's a toy playing water balloons with hand grenades with your friends. You play with live ammunition and you're going to get hurt. Maybe not now, maybe not today, maybe not even this week, but if you pull the pin on the hand grenade called sin, sometime, I promise you, that grenade is gonna go off in your face and you are gonna get hurt and many people besides. I wonder whether Jesus doesn't also mean people when he says dogs and pigs, actual people in our world who are hostile to faith. If you take your life, this precious, valuable thing that God has given you, and you compromise your integrity, and you toss it away to sin, 
You are giving opportunity to those who are hostile to faith to point fingers at you and to mock you as a hypocrite and to discredit you and Christ and faith and the kingdom in one foul swoop. And you will have given them reason beyond reason to not believe in Jesus. You will have compromised your ability to radiate Christ and be a vessel of the kingdom into the world and into their lives. Because they'll look at you and say you're a hypocrite. You say, on the one hand, that you want to live this kind of life, but I have seen you compromise again and again. And it's not, obviously, it's not everybody who doesn't believe in Christ, who's a dog and a pig, hostile to faith. I have unbelieving friends who are lovely people, and they love me. And they're very tolerant and they're very accepting and forgiving of me when I don't live up to being the person that I have professed to be in Christ. And if you're humble and repentant and so on. And certainly he doesn't mean that if you throw your life you know, into sin that God is going to tear you apart. God is about mercy and forgiveness. He did not come into the world to condemn you but to rescue you. What he means is you cannot pray for protection from sin and then play with sin like a toy. Because if you flirt with sin, Jesus would say, you're courting disaster. That's the point. That Jesus is calling us to be Sermon on the Mount kind of people. In fact, beatitude kind of people. What we studied a year ago at the beginning of the sermon Jesus is inviting us in a life that is not cavalier and careless when it comes to temptation and sin, but a life where the core motivation of our heart is that we are poor in spirit, aware of our desperate need for the life of God, where we mourn over the brokenness of our hearts and lives and over the brokenness and sinfulness, not just of our lives, but of the world. Where we come to God meekly with a submissive attitude that says God all of my life is being placed under your control I want to live the life you want me to live lives where we hunger and thirst for righteousness to live rightly in relationship with God rightly in relationship with ourselves rightly in relationship with each other and rightly in relationship with creation and the world so that we can become people who are merciful and pure in our hearts, agents of God's peace and love and healing in the world until we suffer, not because we've compromised our integrity, but because we've maintained it. Jesus says you become those kinds of people and you're like a city on the hill who shines the light of God into the world and people see your good deeds and they glorify your Father in heaven. That's the life that Jesus has been inviting us into. A life where we pray with desperation that his power and strength would come to protect us from temptation and deliver us from the power of the evil one to preserve us as his people being who created us to be and doing what he created us to do so we can radiate his kingdom into the world so that his will can be done and his kingdom can come through us in the world. The kind of people who've drawn a line in the sand and say no more, no compromise. 
I am full out, fully devoted, sold out to following Christ and nothing else with my life, even though sometimes I will fail. Because I know that when you flirt with sin, you're courting disaster. And friends, I'm telling you, what we're celebrating this morning as we celebrate this baptism as a community at our Glenridge location, we are celebrating with five people this morning who are drawing a line in the sand and saying no more, no more double life, no more trying to have my cake and eat it too, no more trying to be faithful in this part of my life and then get whatever I want in this part of my life. That's it. I am 100% sold up for Christ. My life is his. No turning back. I want only to live a life of integrity in my followership with Jesus Christ from now on because he alone has the words of eternal life. And so as you listen to these stories, as you hear these testimonies, as you hear what God has done in these lives, ask yourself, where am I? Am I at that place where I'm ready to draw a line in the sand and say, that's it, no more playing around. From this day forward, my life belongs wholeheartedly to Christ. No compromise, no turning back. I am fully, fully his. Take a listen to these stories.